This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Have you heard about the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Program? The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons has partnered with leading experts in the field to bring you ROCK, the online learning platform developed for U.S. residency programs. Free to residents, ROCK empowers you to build a foundation to prepare you for the OITE and ABOS Part 1 exam. And remember, access to the ROCK content is free for residents. Get started at rock.aaos.org. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to yet another episode of the Nail It Ortho podcast. My name is Dr. Cole. Myself and Dr. Fitz started this podcast to go over high-yield orthopedic surgery topics, and you are now tuned into our finance series. And today we're going to talk a little bit about disability insurance, something that everybody listening to this podcast should have. I am not a financial planner, so don't take my advice, but you should have this. <laughs> you never know what can go wrong. And in this episode, we'll dive deeply into disability insurance. And we have no other than Lawrence Keller, uh, a little bit about Lawrence Keller, who is also known as Larry, is a certified financial planner, professional, and the founder of Physician Finance and the founder of Physician Financial Services, a company dealing exclusively with the financial needs and concerns of members of the medical profession. He spent 33 years providing insurance and investment products and services to residents, fellows, and attending physicians. These include, but are not limited to, disability, income insurance, life insurance, and investments. He has been featured on multiple uh, podcasts, other medical podcasts as well that I have listened to. A little bit more about Dr. Keller. Again, he has obtained his certified financial planner certification as well as earned the Chartered Life Underwriter chartered financial consultant, registered health underwriter, and life underwriter training council fellow designations. He very knowledgeable in this topic and in this subject. So we talk about a lot of things. He has been, again, featured on many different magazines, on uh, many different articles, many different podcasts. He was named the 2023 Shook Forbes list of America's top 100 financial security advisors. This man is truly a gem. And so in this podcast episode, we talk about what disability insurance is, why do we need it, what's the difference between short-term, long-term disability, what are some different mistakes that people make when they're getting different disability policies, what are some different types of disability policies, and we actually break this down into a two-part episode. So today is going to be the first part, and next week will be the other part to it. And uh, so without further ado, let's go ahead and hop into today's episode. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring Drs. Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. All right, Larry, welcome uh, to the Nailed It Ortho podcast. So happy to have you on and uh, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Yeah, and you're one of the first of our financial series for doctors and physicians. And uh, we're covering a, a topic that a lot of people are interested in about or interested about. So we'll talk a little bit about disability insurance today. And I guess it's kind of jumping just straight to it. What is disability insurance and, you know, why do we need it? You know, I'm a resident about to graduate. There's a lot of residents that listen to this podcast, you know, some physicians or attendings as well. So, you know, the kind of core of it, what is it? Why do we need it? Yeah. So at its very core, disability insurance really is nothing more than paycheck insurance. What happens if you become too sick or hurt to work? You know, where is your money going to come from? How are you going to meet your expenses? 
And a lot of times with you guys, like, how are you going to be able to pay off your medical school debt and create wealth? That's really what it comes down to. Now, if we look at it, the average orthopedic surgeon earns over $500,000. I think the last time I checked, with the exception of neurosurgery, you know, in the 2022 Medscape survey, plastic surgery was number one, orthopedic surgery was number two. Yep. You know, so you look at it and you say, okay, you know, here I am, my income earning potential is really that of a professional athlete. And if I became too sick or hurt in order to perform my job duties, look at what's up for grams and really what could be lost as a result you know, of my accident or sickness. So that's really all that disability insurance is. It's going to be an insurance policy that pays you a monthly income if you're too sick or hurt to work. And we'll talk a little bit about the differences in definitions of policies, but at the end of the day, even the worst policy that you have at the time that you are disabled is better than nothing at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I know some people are listening to this, giving themselves a pat on the back, saying they're Tom Brady <laughs> with the uh, with our analogy for, uh, for professional sports. But, you know, we talk about disability. And so what does the actual word disability mean? You know, like when we're actually just just talking about that and, you know, in, in this professional or financial sense, what does it mean to be actually disabled? Yeah. So most people think when they hear disability, they're thinking wheelchair, you know, they're really just down and out. They're not going to be able to do much of anything. And in some cases, certain policies might actually read like that. Now, you will find that a lot of residents and fellows, if not all residents and fellows, are going to have coverage that's provided to them by their residency or fellowship program. And it's going to be a group policy. It's typically going to be something that is provided at no cost. And anything that's free, the IRS says, well, look, if the business, the hospital or the practice that's giving you the insurance is taking an income tax deduction for the benefit that they're providing to an employee, they're saving taxes, which means if you as the employee are getting the insurance for free, they're not adding the cost that they're paying on your behalf back to your taxable income, that benefit to you is taxed. So let's just say you're getting 60% of your salary, which is the most common, 60% minus taxes is really not 60%. Then we look at the definition. And ideally, we're going to talk about this in great detail. You know, as an orthopedic surgeon, or really as any type of physician or healthcare professional, you want to have what's known as an own occupation policy. Well, a lot of policies that are out there on the group insurance side don't do this. I would say that they're what's called a loss of earnings type of policy. And what they will say is, okay, two things need to happen in order for you to be able to receive benefits under this policy. Number one is you need to be unable to perform one or more of the material and substantial duties of your occupation. So like, what does this mean? Well, if I'm an orthopedic surgeon and I'm performing orthopedic surgery and I can't do that, but I could still see patients in clinic, okay, that's one or more of my material and substantial duties. But then you're going to see in a lot of these plans, you're going to see an and, and it says, and you have a loss of income of at least 20% compared to your pre-disability income. Or conversely, it might say you have a loss of income of more than 80% compared to your pre-disability income. So let's say I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I'm diagnosed with a severe tremor. I could never do orthopedic surgery again. But I'm a young guy. and I'm smart and I'm motivated and I'm resourceful. So I decide I'm going to retrain and I go back to law school. And I now sue 
orthopedic surgeons for failed diagnosis or bad outcomes. And I make more money doing this than I ever did when I was an orthopedic surgeon. If my policy reads like that, although I can't do one or more of my job duties, I can't be an orthopedic surgeon. If I'm making more practicing law, I don't have a loss of income of more than 80%. I'm not getting my full benefit. In fact, I don't even have a loss of income of at least 20%. So now I'm getting no benefit. So group plans, although they are provided, and if you're an attending physician and you're out of training for more than 12 months or 24 months, we can't really do much about it. We just have to program around that. But it should by no means be the foundation of your coverage. It should just be a part of your coverage if it's provided to you. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and you mentioned own occupation and you just kind of gave a, you know, a little bit of a, a description of that. So let's say, for example, you know, we all went to school, we trained to be an orthopedic surgeon. We have this disability that happens and we're unable to, to do surgery. There are plans that I guess it has to, it depends on the wording of the plan on whether or not you will get some, you know, if you'll get benefits from being, not being able to do surgery versus like, for example, if the wording says, just like you just said, like you have to not be able to, you lose X amount of your income from doing this job. But if you have something else that pays for, you went to law school or something, you're making money that you don't get the, the benefits. So ideally you want a plan that just protects that job. And if you went and, and did law school somewhere else, you're still getting paid from your initial job as an orthopedic surgeon, correct? Yes, correct. So what we do is we call this an own occupation. Some people use the term own specialty, but technically that's not really correct. So the way own occupation will read, regardless of the policy, it's going to say something like, you will be deemed totally disabled if you're unable to perform the material and substantial duties of your occupation, period. You don't want to see anything else after that. So if we look at it and I said to you, hey, look, you know, what do you really do on a day-to-day -day basis? And you say, look, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. You know, I see patients in clinic. I interpret data. I read x-rays. I promote referrals and I do orthopedic surgery. I would say, yeah, you sound like most orthopedic surgeons. Let me ask you, when you're in clinic, what is it that you're really doing? Oh, well, I'm really whittling through patients to determine who's a surgical candidate and who's not. And then I would say, well, if they're a surgical candidate, like what happens next? And you'd say, well, I discussed the pros and the cons and the risks and the rewards with the patient. If they decide that they want to go ahead with the surgery, I hope that they're going to do it with me. Then I'm going to perform the procedure, and then I'm going to do my post-op follow-up to see if I got as close to the desired result for them as possible. And if that's really what it is that you're doing, and your office-based practice is really incidental or secondary to the fact that you're a surgeon, you know, an own occupation policy would deem you totally disabled, full benefits would be payable, and even if you went to work in another occupation or retrained in another medical specialty, full benefits would be payable. Now, currently, there's more companies now that had it than they did in the past, but you're still looking at a very limited number of companies. So you've got Berkshire, which is a guardian company. You can use those interchangeably. We've got Standard Insurance Company. We've got Principal. We've got Mass Mutual. We've got Emeritus. We've got Ohio National. We now have Northwestern Mutual, and they recently changed their definition in December of 2022. So really about two months ago, they now offer own occupation. 
Uh, and then we've got New York Life. And the availability of this can vary from state to state. Now, Berkshire, which is Guardian, they created something unique about five years ago. And this is what's known as the enhanced medical specialty definition. And let's say that you had a bunch of different jobs. You said, well, look, Larry, I'm a really entrepreneurial guy. I do orthopedic surgery, but I run a podcast. And then I also lecture for pharmaceutical companies. My income comes from a multitude of sources. And all of these things that I'm doing are what's known as active income. So it's not like you're investing in real estate and income is coming in. It's not that you own shares in a surgery center. Like, you know, you're actually doing stuff. Right. So let's say you had three different jobs. I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I run a podcast and I do consulting. And something happens to you and you're disabled and you can no longer perform orthopedic surgery or see patients clinically, but you could still do your podcast and you could still do consulting. Now you've got a loss of income because you have a loss of the ability to do one of your jobs, but not all of your jobs. So now the insurance company comes in and they're like, Doc, you had three different jobs. You can't do one. You're probably still going to do the other two. We really are not going to call you totally disabled, and we're going to pay you benefits based on your loss of income rather than your inability to do your job as an orthopedic surgeon. So what Guardian says is with the enhanced medical specialty definition, if we can't call you totally disabled under the base own occupation definition, we're going to take a step back. And what we're going to say is if you are a surgeon and more than 50% of your income was derived from invasive or surgical procedures, generally where you're making an incision over the last 12 months, you patient requires respiratory assistance, and you can no longer perform those invasive procedures, we will deem you totally disabled. Full benefits will be paid rather than a partial benefit. And even if you continue to blog on your podcast or you continue to do consulting and you no longer have any loss of income because you've taken all the time you used to do in clinical medicine and you've redirected it to the other two jobs that you had prior to your disability. But at that time, more than 50% of your income was derived from performing invasive or surgical procedures you still get your full disability insurance benefit. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, I mean, basically, at least more than half of the money that you made needs to come from surgery in order to be able to either, you know, claim it as disability and still continue to get benefits from that. Correct. In the event that you fell under that, then what they would say is, well, you know, this guy's not totally disabled. He's partially disabled, which we'll talk about. And then for those that might be listening that aren't orthopedic surgeons, maybe a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant, we would say, well, look, what were you doing prior to your disability? What are you doing now? If you can't work as a nurse practitioner or you can't work as a PA, you know, you're going to get your full benefits. But if you can work on a limited basis, we're going to pay you partial benefits. So let's look at that. So let's say you had someone that is an orthopedic surgeon and they've got a pretty mixed practice. Maybe a portion of it is just doing sports medicine. They're not really looking to do surgery. They're just managing 
athletes, and then they have the side of their practice that is surgery. And something happens to them and the doctor says to them, look, you know, you don't look great. You don't look bad. You can still work. You can't work the same number of hours per day. You can't work the same number of days per week. And you can't perform the same number of procedures that you did prior to your disability. So let's say more than 50% of your income was not coming from surgery. Now they're going to say, well, we have to pay you benefits proportionate to your loss of income assuming you had a partial or a residual disability rider in your policy. If you didn't have this, then we're going to say, well, doc, if you're disabled and you can't do surgery, but you could still do the other aspects of your job, we don't care how much money you are losing because you don't have a loss of income component in your policy. We pay you nothing. Mm -hmm. So to take away the all or nothing, we need to add this residual or partial benefit and companies here are going to use either a 15%, so 1.5, or a 20% trigger where they say as long as you have a loss of income of either 15% or 20% or more, loss of income compared to your pre-disability income, we're going to pay you benefits proportionate to your loss. Okay. And then what you're going to find is, you know, companies are going to have a general rule. Hey, you know what? Once you trigger the residual or partial for the first six months or for the first 12 months, we guarantee we're not going to give you less than 50% or half of your benefit. If you lose more, we'll give you more. So if you lose 60%, we'll give you 60. If you lose 70, we'll give you 70. And then if you happen to lose more than 75% or 80%, depending upon the company, we'll give you everything for that month. Because really, how much are you doing if you lost that much? Probably not a lot. Right. We're talking about partial versus total disability. So are we also talking about short or long-term disability? Like, and kind of what's the difference between those two? Yeah. So we're definitely talking residual disability or partial versus total disability. Correct. Now, long-term disability is generally deemed 90 days or longer. Anything prior to that, we consider short-term disability. And short-term disability, typically you're going to get from your employer. Okay. Very few companies that offer it on an individual basis. If they do, it's pretty expensive. The benefits are limited. And for any females that might be listening, you know, normal pregnancy is not covered. You know, usually complications of pregnancy will be covered, but a normal pregnancy would not be covered. So for myself, when I'm talking with clients, yes, if you have short-term disability from your employer, it's probably not a bad idea to take if you're a female. If you're a guy, I really don't recommend it. I usually say you should establish an emergency fund of somewhere between three and six months of your living expenses, and then you fall back on your long-term disability policy 90 days or longer, exactly what we're describing. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And so we, we touched based on own occupation disability, and then you also discussed Berkshire or Guardian's enhanced medical specialty definition, which again, we were talking about, if you lost greater than 50%, you're going to get paid or you're going to get benefits for that job or yeah. for, you know, for that. And so all these different definitions, you know, we're looking up and trying to talk about disability and you see like transitional own occupation and modified mm -hmm. own occupation and any occupation, all these different occupations. What, what's, I guess, just quickly, briefly, what are the difference between those again and which one are should we be going to looking for? Yeah. So you always want what I'm going to deem to be true own occupation. That's the one that says if you can't perform the material and substantial duties of your occupation, period, you will be deemed totally disabled. Yeah. 
anything that does not read like that, which is going to include transitional own occupation, modified own occupation, any occupation. Uh, one company at one point created something that was called the medical occupation definition or the MOD. Then they revised it and they came out with something that was called the medical own occupation definition or the MOOD. The bottom line is with any of these, if you choose to work and you make money doing it, your benefit may be reduced or potentially eliminated entirely. Mm, okay. What happens if you can't perform your job duties as an orthopedic surgeon? If you choose not to work and you're like, all I ever wanted to be was an orthopedic surgeon, I'm not doing anything. Yeah, you're going to get your full benefit and everything is going to pay exactly the same way. It's what happens if you choose to work and make money is where the problem begins. And the liberal policy, the own occupation policy, is not going to reduce or eliminate your benefit if you choose to work doing something either other than what you were doing prior to your disability or under that enhanced medical specialty definition. If you met the criteria of more than 50% of your income, was derived from invasive or surgical procedures, even if you stay in the same practice doing non-operative sports medicine, full benefits are payable. So the enhanced medical specialty definition can never hurt you. It can only help you. If you remember that movie, The Hunt for Red October, this yes. is kind of like the hunt for total disability. If we can't <laughs> call you totally disabled under the base definition, can we take a step backward and allow you to qualify for total disability based on your inability to do invasive or surgical procedures if that represented more than 50% of your free disability income? And if you happen to not be a surgeon, although I would imagine most of the people that are physicians listening to this are surgeons, is if more than 50% of your income was derived from hands-on patient care where you're interfacing with a patient to diagnose and treat them. And let's say the same thing, you know, you are an internal medicine physician and you can't do hands-on patient care. That was more than 50%, you know, and you were still lecturing or you were doing consulting. More than 50% was hands-on patient care. You could still do the consulting. You could still do the, you know, lecturing for the pharmaceutical companies. You can now make more than 100% of what you were making. It does not matter as long as you had that inability to do hands-on patient care. And at the time of claim, that was more than 50% of your pre-disability income. This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. If you're an orthopedic resident, it's time to start building the foundation to be prepared for the OITE and ABOS Part 1 exam. The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons has partnered with leaders in the field to bring you the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Program. Rock is an all-in-one online learning platform covering 11 subspecialties. You can access the content for free at rock.aaos.org. This platform delivers a comprehensive, structured, standardized curriculum and even includes self-assessment quizzes and performance analytics. And remember, residents never pay to access Rock content. Get started today at rock.aaos.org. Okay. So again, it's to reiterate to those listening, you want really that true own occupation, that disability is what you're looking for. A little bit earlier, you mentioned a term called rider. And for those of us, many of us that are listening to this that have no idea about any of these financial terms, uh, okay. what is a rider? And then I guess, what should we be looking for in these disability insurance policies? We already, we talked about, you wanted to be true own occupation 
What else are some other things that we should look for? Yeah, so a rider is just a fancy term for add-ons that make your policy more comprehensive, okay. right? So the first thing that we want to look for, it's generally not a rider. With some policies, it can be a rider, but you want your policy to be what's known as non-cancellable and guaranteed renewal. And this literally just means, well, hey, once you're in, you're in. We can't take it away from you. We can't change the premium rates. You can get rid of us. You can make changes. But as long as you pay your premium in a timely manner, which includes a 31-day grace period, we're kind of stuck with you. Very common among surgeons is in the beginning, you start out, you're like, I got no money. I have a lot of debt. I have no assets. But very quickly, things turn around. And as you're rapidly approaching financial independence, you might want to make changes to your policy. So there are some riders that we're going to talk about, these add-ons that maybe when you first started practicing, they were really important. But now they're either not as important or they're just not going to give you the same value that they would have when you were very young. So you might want to make some changes. So the first thing we want is not cancelable, guaranteed renewable. They can't take it away. They can't change the premium rates. You can make changes. They can't. It's actually better than a spouse, right? You could throw it out and you don't have to worry about losing half your stock. <laughs> so right. Right? Yep. They can't throw you out, but you can throw them out. Exactly. We talked about the own occupation. In some policies, it's built into the policy. Other policies, you might actually find that you have to add something that's called an own occupation rider or a regular occupation rider. And that's just going to take away the, if you work in another occupation and make money, that your benefit could potentially be reduced or eliminated. That's really all that it's doing. It's it's making the policy more comprehensive. Okay. Uh, then we're going to have that residual or partial disability rider. That's usually an option. Personally, I don't think it should be an option. I think it should be mandatory because if you don't have that, we said, if you can still do your job on a very limited basis or on a very limited time, you might have a 90% loss of income, but if less you're deemed totally disabled, you would get no benefit. So without that, you're really all or nothing. Right. And that's not a great place to be because most disabilities are not total. Most disabilities are something's going on. I'm not sure quite what it is. Let me go see one of my friends and do a curbside consult. Let me hear what they say. Maybe you'll modify your job duties to better suit your level of pain. But at the end of the day, if you're working and earning income, even if you're losing a substantial amount of income, you're not going to get paid if you don't have some loss of income component in your policy. It's really a must-have, in my opinion. Then we've got the cost of living adjustment rider. And we love acronyms in insurance. I mean, Sound yeah. familiar, like medicine in the military? Like, oh, we're in that. Yep. So we use the term COLA rider, and this just is going to increase your benefit generally after disability has lasted for a year. It could be a compounded COLA rider. It could be a simple COLA rider. And literally, compounded just means we're looking at what your benefit was the prior year, and we're increasing that. If it's simple, it's whatever your benefit was at the time of disability we're going to use the percentage of that after disability has lasted for a year. Now, that being said, the COLA rider is very important. But if cost is an issue, this might be something to consider removing, especially if you're like, look, I'm eligible for a large amount of coverage. I didn't plan on buying that amount of coverage. I was going to buy a smaller amount. So I'll make it up. This is for an attending. Let's say I qualified for $12,000 a month. 
but I wasn't going to buy 12. I was going to buy 10. I would say, you know, you might be better off buying the 12 without the Cola Rider. It's not going to increase. You're going to be at the 12, but no, that might work better than 10 that's going to go up by, say, 3% a year. So what would I do as a financial advisor? I would pull out my trusty, you know, HP12C. That's just a financial calculator. Yep. And I would say, well, how many years would I need to be disabled getting 10000 a month going up by 3% compounded after the first year before my 10 would cross over the 12? And if I saw it was like eight or nine years, you might say eight or nine years, like that seems like forever. Like, no, I'd rather have the big money up front. Or you might say eight or nine years. By the time I figured out medical school, my residency and a fellowship, like I blink my eyes and it's over. Like I got to have the Cola Rider. You know, right. one thing about these policies is anything that you really want that's not contractually guaranteed for you to be able to get later, I would submit you should buy that right away because it's easy to take stuff off. But if you want to add, the insurance company's thinking, you must know something that we don't. And if you right. want to add something and you want us to take more liability on our end, we're going to ask you medical questions, or we're going to do a prescription drug check, or we're going to get a copy of your medical records. And if we see something that points to the fact that you're not insurable the way you were originally, we're probably not going to allow you to add that rider, for example, that you want. Where something like increasing your disability benefit, if you have an increase option, which we'll talk about next, you can do that regardless of your health. It's only going to be based on your income and other disability insurance you have in effect at the time that you're trying to buy more. So the Kohler Rider has a little bit to do with inflation. Also, that's really it. I'm wrong. it it's, it's basically, that's basically what it is. That's what it is. It's basically if you go down today, a year from now or a year from whenever your disability takes place, we're going to increase your benefit. If you don't have the COLA rider at the point of disability, whenever that might be, whatever your benefit was at that time, that's what you're going to get. And that's what it's going to stay at and continue to pay going forward. So someone that's young, let's just say a 32-year-old orthopedic surgery resident, if they work to age 65, I mean, that thing is going to compound for 32 years because they'd be practicing for 33. It doesn't kick in until the first year. I mean, that could really substantially increase somebody's benefit. But if you're 55, okay, now if I become disabled at 55, it's not going to start to increase until a year later. I'm at 56. If my policy is going to pay me to age 65, it's only nine years of indexing. It's not really nearly as valuable as it is to my young orthopedic surgeon that's just starting out. Mm. And then you also mentioned being able to further increase your amount of, I guess, coverage or benefits. So say, for example, you know, like I'm a resident now and then, yeah, I've had disability insurance for X amount of years. And then when I'm attending, I want to be able to increase the benefits because I'll be making a little bit more money. Now there, so in order for me to do this, there needs to be, I guess, certain terminology in in the policies allowing you to increase it without going through, I guess, another round of testing or a bunch of medical questions per se. Yep, that's exactly right. Now, I will say for residents and fellows and even the majority of tendings, you know, up to a monthly benefit of $10,000 and in some cases, you know, it's really up to the maximum. You don't even have to do an exam, blood test, or urine test. It's literally, it's, it's an application. Behind the scenes, we'll do a prescription drug check. 
We will have you sign a HIPAA compliant authorization. So if we want to get a copy of your medical records, you know, we can certainly go ahead uh, and do that. Once you make it past that and you have your policy locked in, we want to give you a rider, which gives you the ability to buy more coverage in the future, regardless of your health, based only on your rising income. Now, there's a couple of different types of increase options. You've got the traditional increase option. Anything that starts with an F, like Frank, is traditional. This is going to be what's known as the future increase option rider or the future insurability option rider. And remember, we love our acronyms. Let's just call this the FIO. Yep. So F stands for freedom. So anything with a an F is going to allow you to buy more coverage once a year on your policy's birthday. When we send a letter to you, or let's say my office or another agent's office, you know, lets you know about your option, you can choose to use it or not use it, depending upon how you see fit, based on your individual needs and goals and situation at that point in time. And that's great. If you want to use it, that's phenomenal. If you don't want to use it, you don't have to. Well, there's another type of increase option that came out not probably 10, 15 years ago. And this starts with a B. And just know if it starts with a B, it means you better do something, right? <laughs> okay. So every three years, as opposed to every year on our F, this option comes up. But unlike the future increase option or the future insurability option where you don't even have to talk to me. Or if you want, you can check in and be like, hey, Larry, this is what my income looks like. This is what I'm getting from my practice. Am I eligible for more? I could be like, yeah, you know, you're eligible for another 10000 a month. Yeah, that's good. I already spent too much money on insurance. I'm not buying anything. I'll talk to you next year, maybe, or maybe I'll never talk to you again. That's okay. Anything that starts with a B, every three years, you must check in with the insurance company. And my office, for example, we're going to reach out to you and we're going to be like, okay, you have to send us a recent pay stub. You have to send us a copy of your federal income tax return for last year, including your W-2s. And let us know if your employer is providing you with any long-term disability coverage. At that point, I could do it, but the insurance company is going to look at your income and other coverage and they are going to determine if you qualify for more benefit. And if you don't, you're good. You checked in. They're telling you you don't qualify for any more, which means you're well insured. Like We're not looking to get somebody so excited to become a walking moral hazard that they can make more money not working than if they actually continue to work. Right. The negative is if you qualify for more and we make an offer to you, you must purchase at least 50% or half of what we offer you. Now, you got to check in. If you don't check in, you're going to lose your increase option after multiple times that we reach out to you. And once you get to the point of no return, you're going to lose your increase option if you have a B. And some companies will let you add it back. You have to answer medical questions to be able to do so, which means you might not qualify to add it back. Or if you check in and we make an offer, you have to buy at least half. Now, let's say you come back to me and you're like, Larry, man, you know my situation. You're a certified financial planner. I got a bunch of kids. They're all going to private school. I got a mortgage. Like, my lifestyle is really expensive. I don't have any more money to spend on insurance. I will say, doc, I get it. I'll listen to any story you want to tell me. The insurance company is going to say, 
the contract is the contract and the way the rider is written is the way the rider is written. Mm -hmm. You must buy 50% or you're going to lose your increase option. Talk to the hand. We don't want to hear any of your stories. It's just the way that it is. Okay. So I would say it's important that someone understands how these things differ. So remember, F is freedom. The negative is you pay for the increase option. The positive is because you're paying for it, you can't lose it. It comes up every year. It administratively, there's nothing that you're forced to do. If you want to buy more, you qualify, that's great. If you don't want to buy more, you don't have to. Anything that starts with a B, remember, you better do something. You got to check in. Once you check in, if you don't qualify for anything, that's fine. We'll see you again in three years or if you meet the qualifications to do it early. In your case, you're finishing up your fellowship or maybe you stayed on as an attending at a hospital between your guaranteed salary, what the hospital gave you and what you owned individually, there was no room to go. You didn't need to do anything, but now you're leaving and you're like, you know what? I should have left long ago. I'm done. I'm losing my employer provided coverage. I'm going to a private practice. Now you can electively use your increase option early. So that's a good thing. But you know, when you use them together, they can work out really well. So I'll give you an idea in terms of how you can combine the two and when you might want to use one versus the other, you know, as kind of we get to the end of the episode. Yes. Okay. All right. That sounds good. We'll, we'll come back and circle back around that. Hope that you all enjoyed this episode with Larry Keller. Again, we talked a lot about disability insurance, so we hope that you all have a little bit better of an understanding of what it is and some things that you should look out for and stay tuned for our part two episode that is coming up very shortly. Material discussed is meant to be for general information purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Optional riders are available for an additional premium. Some policy benefits and features are not available to all occupations. Berkshire Life Insurance Company of America is a wholly owned stock subsidiary of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America. This material contains the current opinions of the presenters, but not necessarily those of the Guardian or its subsidiaries, and such opinions are subject to change without notice. ASPS, Enhanced for Your Practice Podcast, and J. Rowe are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Physician Financial Services, and opinions stated are their own. Lawrence Keller is a registered representative and financial advisor of Hark Avenue Services, LLC, 355 Lexington Avenue, 9th floor, New York, New York, 1001-6603, phone number 212-541-8800. Securities products and advisory services are offered through PAS, phone number 1-516-677-6200. Financial representative, The Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Physician Financial Services is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. AR Life Editors, AR Insurance License Number 1057229CA, Insurance License Number 0C37340. PAS is a member of FINRA and SIPC. Forbes Best In-State Top Financial Security Professional Award is not issued or endorsed by Guardian or its subsidiaries. It is based on criteria developed and obtained by Shock Research LLC. No compensation was provided in connection with obtaining this rating. However, advisors may choose to pay Forbes and show for its usage rights of the ranking logo. Past performance is not an indication of future results. 2023-165269, expiration 11 2025